Everybody else, y'all can turn to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, remember Revelation 2 and 3 are seven personal introductions, personalized messages to the seven churches that John was told to write to. And even though the messages are personalized, the end of each one says that the one who has ears should hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so we want to listen and say, God, what are you saying to us through these letters? The one today is very far removed from us. Last week, Sardis, I felt like that's us. That's Marietta. That's Bible Belt, where it's easy to have a superficial veneer of kind of religion and lack any true spiritual life. This one seems really far removed. This letter to Philadelphia. Philadelphia was, it was a, called the gateway to the east. It was on a major east-west trade route. Uh, Philadelphia was, in its past, have been a missionary city. Not Christian missionary, but it, because of its location geographically, uh, that Philadelphia had, had spread Greek culture and Greek language to some recently or newly annexed parts of the empire. And uh, Philadelphia was prone to earthquakes. The whole city had been leveled in 17 AD, and people kind of had a, like PTSD around that. So if there were any tremors, everybody left the city because they were, it was un, unstable for them. They, they felt shaky. So those three things, the idea of being a missionary city, being a gateway to the east, and then this propensity for earthquakes and how that affected the people in the city, all of those kind of play in to how Jesus addresses them. So we'll jump right in. Chapter 3, verse 7. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write this, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I've placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you've kept my word, and I've not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I've loved you. Since you've kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never, never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So again, uh, this letter follows that same basic template that we've looked at, but like the church in Smyrna, you remember that was about uh, three or four weeks ago, no rebuke, no call to repent, no potential punishment. Someone in our staff was saying to them, to her, she said, this feels like the, the most tender of the seven letters. It feels like you've got this, this weak, small, oppressed, marginalized church, and you have God saying, I, you just hang on, and I'm coming. You just hang in there. You don't need to do anything else. Y'all just hang in there. I'm proud of y'all, and I'm coming to fix it. It's the tenderest of the seven this person was saying, and I think you maybe can hear that uh, as we read. So the, the, the church does appear to be small in Philadelphia, and it seems like they're being persecuted by Jews, by the synagogue. So Jews become followers of Jesus, and then they're Jewish Christians. But in this particular city, they're then kicked out of the synagogue. They're blasphemers, they're heretics, these guys who are kind of saying, hey, we, 
we know what it is to be the people of God, and you're no longer the people of God, and so they're kicking them out. And so you have this small group of Christians, some of whom, if not most of whom, have a Jewish background, and they're kind of homeless. And they're kind of wondering, where, where's my place? And Jesus reveals himself as the one who's holy, he's set apart, as true, that is, he's faithful, and he's reliable. He says, I hold the key of David. Uh, There's a, a role in a royal household, the chief steward, and their job was to control access. Who gets access to the king and who doesn't get access to the king? And there was literally keys that went with that job. And Jesus says, I've, I, I've got that key. And I'm opening a door that nobody can shut. And again, if you can imagine, if you've been kicked out of the synagogue, which, which is where you grew up, and it's where your parents grew up, and maybe even your grandparents, where they grew up as well, and now you don't have a place to hear from Jesus. I'm, I'm, I've got a place for you. No one's going to shut the door in your face, and nobody's going to kick you out. It's a permanent place. How comforting that would be to these particular Christians. Some people, when they hear that idea of an open door, they think more along the lines of the way Paul talked, an open door to service, and we'll talk about that at the end. That could be. I think it's probably more likely that the way this church heard it, at least at this point in their life, when they're small and they're persecuted and, again, probably marginalized, is there's a place for you in the family of God, and that place is secure, and you can bank on it. You can count on it. Nobody's going to snatch that away from you. And then Jesus gives them encouragement. You're weak. You, you only have a little strength, but you've, you've been faithful to me. You've kept my word. You've been obedient. You haven't denied relationship with me. Again, that idea is proud of them. They, they've hung in there in the face of persecution. And then he gives them a glimpse of the future. We don't see this in the other letters. He pulls back the curtain a little bit. Again, maybe particularly because they are so oppressed, and maybe it would be easy to lose hope in that situation, easy to wonder, is God even aware of what's going on? What's he doing? And he says, here's what's actually happening. Here's what I'm going to be doing. First, he says, he's going to vindicate them. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but he says all of these Jews who think they're being faithful to God, they're not. They're actually opposing the work of God. They think they're the family of God. They're actually a synagogue of Satan. They're all going to acknowledge that I love you. Maybe Jesus has in mind at the end of time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is the Lord and that these Philadelphian Christians will be aligned with him. And so those Jews will acknowledge, hey, you know what? We were wrong. They weren't heretics. They weren't blasphemers. They were right about Jesus. And God did love them and have favor in their life. Maybe. I don't know. He doesn't tell us exactly what that looks like. He just says, I'm going to vindicate you. And again, if you've ever been... Like the, if you've ever been the minority, if you've ever been the, 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 the one or two who's kind of swimming upstream, that's really comforting to know somebody's going to take care of this. And there's a part of you that recognizes, I know I can't. And so it's, it's comforting to know that somebody is going to. And Jesus says, that's me. I'm going to vindicate y'all. And then he says, because of your patient endurance, your Bible may say, because of your perseverance, really important idea in Revelation. We've already seen it multiple times. Patient endurance or perseverance is the capacity to bear up well under difficult circumstances. And Jesus cares a lot about that. He doesn't, I don't feel like he says, I'm going to keep you all from difficulty. In fact, he says pretty plainly in the Gospel of John, in this world you're going to have trouble. His expectation is when we experience difficulty or trouble or trial that we will bear up well under that. In the power of the Holy Spirit, 100%. But he expects us 
to bear up well, to persevere, to patiently endure, as the NIV says, in those circumstances. And so what he says to them is you've done that. You've done that. Don't think about being a hero in those settings. When I think about perseverance or when I think about patient endurance, I think about Paul saying, when you stand and when you've done everything else, just stand. Like, just keep standing. You don't even have to move forward necessarily. Just stand firm. That, to me, is the picture of patient endurance or perseverance. Again, particularly when you're thinking about a group that's a small minority who's being persecuted in their city. And Jesus says, because you've done that, because you've kept my word to persevere, I'm going to keep you from this hour of trial that's coming on the whole world. So what is this hour of trial all about? Most people see it as the great tribulation. You may have heard of that. That's not uh, necessarily a biblical phrase, but it is. There, there's truth there. The, 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 the time, there's a time period leading up to Jesus' return that's going to be difficult. Some people see it as three and a half years. Some people see it as seven years. And some people see it as a, that seven as symbolic, seven the number of completeness. So it just speaks of a time that will kind of run its course. But throughout the New Testament, Jesus mentions it, this time towards the end, a time of great distress. That's where that phrase great tribulation comes from. And so what do we do with that? And, and Jesus says, I'm going I'm to keep you from that. So tribulation means squeezing, and maybe in your mind you can think of being squeezed from both sides. From one side, it's Satan, and Jesus says that as the end approaches, Satan's activity is going to increase, if we can say that. He's going to deceive more, and he's going to persecute more. All those are relative terms. A greater level of deception, a greater level of persecution. And then the judgments of God are also going to increase, if I can, that's not the right word. But, there's going to, but that's the one we're going to use. There's an increase in God's activity. That's not the, the best way of saying it. But his judgments are going to increase, and that's Revelation 6 through 16. We'll see that. So you have this squeezing from both sides. The enemy from one side, he's ramping up his activity, and then God from the other is ramping up his activity, and everyone on the earth is going to be squeezed because of it. And what Jesus says here is he doesn't call it, uh, it's a different word. He doesn't call it suffering. He calls it a test. He wants to see what's in the hearts of the inhabitants of the world. And that phrase, inhabitants of the world, throughout Revelation means people who are not aligned with Jesus. He wants to see, let's see what's in their heart. It's going to be a period of difficulty, of squeezing on the earth. And Jesus says, because y'all been faithful, you've kept the word to patiently endure, I'm going to keep you from. So how does Jesus keep the church from the great tribulation? You have two choices for this. One is called the pre-tribulation rapture and one is a post-tribulation rapture. So pre-tribulation rapture means before things get really heated up, before this three and a half years or seven year time period, Jesus is going to rapture, take the church up to heaven. And the way he keeps us from the great tribulation is he physically removes us from the earth. That's not what I believe. I've said before, you're welcome to. Plenty of people who... Love God and love the Bible. I just need you to be right. Because if you're not prepared for suffering and then you have to suffer, it can be very damaging to your faith. I'll land on the other side of that. It's called a post-tribulation rapture. The church has to live through the great tribulation and then Jesus will take us to heaven. And I say that because Jesus himself in John 17 says, God, I'm not asking you to take them 
from the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world. I'm asking you to protect them from the, from the evil one. Protect them from Satan. If you think back, you can go back and read in Exodus when the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt and God begins to judge the Egyptians, the ten plagues. And, and he makes a distinction. That's what the Bible says. He makes a distinction between the Israelites and the Egyptians, and I don't understand it. Somehow it's dark for the Egyptians and it's still light for the Israelites. The, Isra the Egyptian livestock, they get killed. The, the Israelites' livestock doesn't. God makes a distinction. To me, what he's doing is he's keeping them from those plagues, but he's not removing them from the situation. Maybe it's easier to say he's keeping them through. In Revelation 7, 2 and 3, before all of these plagues begin, an angel goes through and he marks, he seals all of God's people. To me, that's again, that's a picture of how he protects us. He protects us through. You absolutely do not have to agree with me. Again, I would just say, be prepared. If I'm wrong, the worst thing that happens is I don't have to suffer. I, I would love to be wrong. If you're wrong, will you be prepared if you do have to suffer? So just think about that. Pre-tribulation rapture, post-tribulation rapture. That's how G, one of the other, that's how Jesus is going to keep us and keep the church through this great tribulation. And then he says to them, I'm coming soon. And what we want to say is, Jesus, you said that 1,900 years ago. Come on. Soon does not mean immediate. It means without unnecessary delay. There's nothing. Maybe think about it this way. The only thing preventing Jesus from returning is the kindness of God. It's his kindness that leads people to repentance. Peter says, don't confuse the slowness, what we see as delay, is don't, don't, the, the, this delay, don't consider it slowness, it's kindness, it's God's patience. He's wanting everyone to come to a knowledge of him. When Jesus returns, nobody's going to have an opportunity to repent anymore. People's eternal destinations will be set in concrete. And so if there is a delay, it's a delay of mercy where the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are saying, let's give everybody who will an opportunity to repent and to be reconciled to God before Jesus returns. So he is coming soon, and he says to them, all I need you all to do is hang on. Just hang in there. And then he gives them this promise to those who overcome. And again, think about the setting that they're in. And to hear these words of ownership and security, I'm going to make you a pillar in a town that's prone to earthquakes. You're never going to have to leave the temple even though you leave every time there's a tremor. You're not going to have to do that anymore. You can set down roots here. You're safe here. I'm going to brand you with my name and the name of my father. It's a sign of ownership. I'm going to put the name of this city, the new Jerusalem. It's a sign of citizenship. I'm going to give you that name as well. Write that upon you. All of those things are speaking to permanence and security to people that don't have that right now. Very comforting to them. You can imagine, I said this is far removed from us Bible Belt Christians, but there are millions, tens of millions, even hundreds of millions of Christians around the world. They're Philadelphian Christians. For instance, Afghanistan, 36 million people in that nation. Officially, zero Christians. Zero. Because you can't be an Afghani and be a Christian. If you're an Afghani, then you're a Muslim. And it's against the law to convert. In reality, there's several thousand Christians. That's it. Several thousand out of 36 million. 
There's no churches. The only church in Afghanistan is a, is a, is a Catholic church in the Italian embassy. That's it. So you're an Afghani and somehow you have a dream or you, you hear some gospel presentation on the radio somehow that's pirated into your country somehow and you become a Christian. There's no place for you to go. There's no place for you to go. You're going to get ostracized from your family. You're getting kicked out of the mosque. You probably are losing your job and you may be thrown in jail. You're a Philadelphian Christian. And that's reality, again, for millions and millions of Christians around the world where they're less than 5%, less than 2%, less than 1% of their population. There are no churches. There is no freedom of religion. There is no official protection of minority faith. They're persecuted. They're marginalized. They get kicked out of everything that they've known up to that point and everything their parents have known and everything their grandparents have known. They're kicked out of all of that. They lose all of those things. For people like that to hear, I've been set apart and you can trust me. I've got a key and I'm opening a door and nobody can shut it. And I'm coming soon. You just hang in there. That's all you got to do. You just hang in there. I'm going to vindicate you. I'm going to see you through. How comforting would that be? That's not us. We live in the Bible Belt. The church's parking lots are all full. What would Jesus, what would the Spirit say to us through this letter? Pray for the persecuted church, absolutely. I think if we t take that idea of an open door and that other, maybe option B, I think it can apply to us. If we think of an open door, absolutely that Jesus has made a place for us in the Father's house, 100%. But I don't think what Jesus would say to us in Marietta in 2019 is just hang on. Just hang in there. I think what he would say to us is there's a door for effective service that's been opened for you. Against this idea of Philadelphia as a missionary city or Philadelphia as a gateway to the east. I think what he would say to us is be a bridge. Be a kingdom of priests. That's what you are. Priests are intermediaries between God and other people. Be a gateway. Be a point of connection for people who don't yet know Jesus. I think that's what he would say to us. That's how Paul uses that phrase, open door, several times. And you can see some, some maybe just perspective there up on the screen. Most of us don't think that way. I don't think. I don't. I don't go through my day thinking about open doors with people. I don't. I just go through my day, mostly try, trying to avoid people. Certainly not saying... God, am I a gateway to this person? Am I a bridge to this person? And if a door's open, I'm not thinking, praise the Lord, let me walk through it. I'm like, God, who else can you send through that door? I don't know how you think and how you uh, approach relationships and interactions that you have. And what would it look like for you and for me to hear what the Spirit would say? Hey, be a gateway. Be a gateway. Be a bridge. For some of us, it's really scary to think about that. Some of you are, this is all stereotypes. Some of you are extroverted. And so for you, the idea of connecting with people comes very easily to you. It's life-giving for you. You've got tons of words and you know how to use them. And so the, the, I, being a bridge for you, it's just a matter of maybe of recognition. That's all it is. Maybe recognizing, hey, I have this strength, I have this gift. Sometimes things that come easily to us, we don't think about submitting those things back to the Lord. We just do them. 
but we don't necessarily, we'll say, baptize them kind of in the Holy Spirit. We just do them because they come easily and naturally to us. There can almost be a flippancy about it. And maybe particularly when you live in the Bible Belt and you assume if there's anybody that's interested in Jesus, there's a thousand churches and there's Christian radio and there's Christian bookstores and there's, they've got access. And we can take kind of a laissez-faire attitude towards people. And again, if you're an extrovert, maybe that's even compounded because it comes so, it's just easy for you and natural for you to connect. Maybe what you need to do is be more intentional and prayerful about your interactions. And think about what does it look like for my conversation to be seasoned with salt. And even though I, I, I connect easily with new people and I, I, it's easy for me to engage with people I already know, but those things give me life, I would say is there a purpose in those interactions? You don't have to present the gospel every time you talk, but is your conversation seasoned with salt? Now, if you're like me, I'm pretty far on the introvert scale. I read something, they said, how, how do you kill an introvert? You put a stranger in their kitchen and watch them starve. And that's true. True for me. Conversations are not super easy. They're draining. And you may, again, you may not be quite as extreme as me, but you may lean that way. And the idea of saying, I'm a bridge, I'm a gateway, you're going, oh, God, no. No. And like you're literally praying. That's not taking the Lord's name in vain. You're saying, God, no. Don't make me do that. If my choices are talk to you or pray for you, I'm going to pray for you all day long because I can do it by myself. And maybe that's where you are as well. And for me, I have to make a choice. I can't use being an introvert as an excuse to not be a bridge. God made me an introvert and he said go into all the world. And he didn't say unless you're an introvert or extroverts only. So I have to figure out how to reconcile those two things. And for me, it's a choice. It's just a choice that I have to make before an interaction. I got my hair cut this week, and I decided before I walked in, I was like, I ain't talking to that guy. <laughs> and I didn't. Three times he tried to talk to me. And I give off a strong vibe, and some of you have been on the other side of that. And he, he, quit, he quit talking, and I was happy. Probably wasn't the right thing to do. Monday, I told you all about this gym that I go to. And I'm, when I go, I'm the youngest guy there. I'm everybody's kid. And I, I decided going in, I was like, it's Monday, I'm fresh, I'm going to be here. And this older couple, this guy always talks to me. His wife came up and said, do you run marathons, honey? And I was like, no. I do Ironman triathlons. Can't you tell? If, the, if everybody is 70, I'm going to win. I win. And so, but I talked to them, which wasn't, I kept moving, walking to my car. I didn't stop, but I did engage. Paul and Artis, those are their names. And so we had a little conversation. And for some of you, that's super easy. I, my, my parents go to the same gym as me. And I would avoid, I would see my dad there and I would just, I would avoid him. And we had a great relationship. I just didn't want to talk. I have other problems other than being an introvert. But for me, any of those interactions, it requires intentionality on my part. I have to decide. God, I'm going to submit this to you. If you're an extrovert, maybe you have to submit your strengths to the Lord. As an introvert, I have to be willing to submit my weaknesses and say, God, in my weakness, you can be strong. This is going to wear me out, but you can fill me back up. It's probably going to be awkward for me, but that's, that's okay as well. I have to be willing to do that. I can't use the fact that I'm an introvert as an excuse to not be a bridge or to not be a gateway to someone. We're, we're, everyone's somewhere on the, you don't like labels, doesn't matter. There's, there's got to be a willingness for all of us to say, 
We're sent ones. We're all, we're all missionary cities. We're all gateways to someone. And we want to submit those relationships to him. I would say pray for open doors. And then pray for courage to walk through those doors when they're opened. Again, for some of you, you don't need courage. You just need the grace to actually be intentional in your conversations. For some of us, it is a risk. And we need courage to step through and to engage and to trust the Lord to meet us in that. Close your eyes with me if you would, and let's take a couple of minutes and pray, and we'll be done. I want you to ask just this one question to the Lord. To whom am I a gateway? If Philadelphia is a gateway to the east, to whom am I a gateway? I'm a gateway to As we approach Thanksgiving and Christmas, people's hearts are a bit softer towards the Lord. For some people, it's kind of a coming back. There's some traditions maybe in their family or some rhythms around church. Christmas Eve is the, by far the, the most well-attended services in the U.S., People are maybe working just a little bit less. And there's a little bit of space to maybe talk about some other things. So whatever name, it may have been one name, it may have been several names. When you thought about prayerfully, God, to whom am I a gateway? If you're willing, over the next six weeks, we're going to pray now. And I would encourage you to, to pray for open doors with those people. Introvert or extrovert, doesn't matter. Just pray for God to open doors with those people. And your prayers maybe can be something like this. I'll model one, and you can pray it along in your heart if you're willing. God, I commit and submit and then fill in the blank to you. I know your desire is to reconcile him or her, them, to yourself. I know, Holy Spirit, that you're already working in their hearts. And I want to be available to be used. I want to be a door. I want to be a gateway. I want to be a bridge. I pray, Holy Spirit, that over the next six weeks that you would convict of sin and guilt and righteousness. That this guy or this girl, that they would know their need for a Savior. I pray any places where they're where they're thinking things about you that are just not true, that you would reveal yourself to them in all of your grace and love and kindness and holiness and goodness. I pray, God, that the eternity that you've set in their heart would begin to, would awaken and would begin to hunger and thirst for you and for your kingdom. And that everything that he or she is doing to try to fill that void to try to satisfy that hunger. I pray it would all come to nothing. Every trick and every technique and every distraction, I pray, would all lose their luster. God, in the kindest and gentlest way possible, I pray that you would r reveal to these precious ones 
their life is built on sand. They would feel the shakiness of their own foundation and would begin to desire something that's permanent and solid on which to build their life. And God, I pray over the next six weeks that you would remind me to pray and God, that you would give me courage and grace to share. That I want to trust that you can open up a door to effective service in the lives of these men and women. It's not my responsibility to convince or convict or release that to you. It's not my responsibility to convert. I release that to you. But God, I certainly want to be used in whatever ways you see fit. And my prayers over the next six weeks, he, she, they would take one step, one step towards Jesus. That you'd protect them from the enemy and the ways he would seek to distract them and discourage them. Pray that this would be a time, a holy time for them of returning to you or coming to you for the first time. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's what we're going to do. Bo's going to, we're going to close with one song of ministry, and I want you to come and pray. We're going to, you can kneel here. You can kneel here. But I want you to pray for the people that God brought to your mind. Why we just did that. There's something about the physical act of responding and kneeling, and there's just something to that. And so I want to encourage you um, to do that, just to respond. We've got, we have plenty of time uh, to do that. And then Bo will dismiss us in about uh, four or five minutes. Um, I'll be up front. If you need prayer for something that's not that, you come grab me, and I'd be more than happy to pray with you about whatever you have going on. But uh, we want the focus to be those people uh, who God put on your heart. Good? All right, you guys can stand.